Uh, well, nobody wants to hit rock bottom, uh, that place in life where everything seems to have fallen apart and gone wrong, and you have really just run out of options. Uh, it is a difficult place to be to find yourself at rock bottom. Uh, some of you may have never been there. Some of you may have been there in the past. Some of you may feel like you are there right now. But it is not a place that anybody wants to be. Uh, and though that is true, am amazingly, you can find many stories of those who have hit rock bottom in their own lives saying that the experience was the best thing that ever happened to them. Uh, and often this is because those who, who hit rock bottom have no other option but to truly face their problems. And why, by facing their problems, truly face themselves. They have to be honest with themselves and honest with their circumstances. So, uh, for instance, the person who maybe ruins a friendship or a marriage is, is forced to examine how their own behavior may have contributed to the problems. Uh, the alcoholic or the drug addict may finally admit that they have a problem and seek help. Now, this is, is certainly not universally true. Not everyone who hits rock bottom makes a stunning turnaround. But people often learn valuable lessons when they reach the end of themselves. And this was true in Jonah's life. Well, go ahead and, and turn with me over to Jonah chapter 2. As we saw last week, God gave the command to the prophet Jonah to go to uh, the city of Nineveh in the nation of Assyria and preach against it because of its sin. Well, Jonah didn't really like that idea, so he instead fled from the presence of the Lord, or so he thought only to have a, uh, the Lord send a great storm to stop him in his path. Well, you might think that was kind of rock bottom for Jonah, that that would be the wake-up call that he needed, but it was not. And so rather than obey and seek to head to Nineveh, he persisted in his rebellion even in the midst of the storm and asked the sailors to throw him overboard, only to have God appoint a great fish to swallow him and preserve his life. Uh, well, as we will see in the text for today, the three, nights, the three days and three nights in the belly of the fish finally seem to bring Jonah to the end of himself. He hits rock bottom. But in the midst of his despair, he remembers the Lord and he turns to the Lord. It seems as if hitting rock bottom may have been just what Jonah needed. Uh, so please follow along as I read Jonah chapter 2. Um, I'm actually going to go start back in chapter 1, verse 15, just to give some additional context to, to where we are in chapter 2. So starting in chapter 1, verse 15. Then they, they being the sailors, picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you 
to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Well, I have three points for you to consider from the text, from Jonah's time in the belly of the fish, uh, God's discipline, Jonah's response, and God's compassion. Again, first, God's discipline, second, Jonah's response, and third, God's compassion. So again, in our, our text for today, we'll see that God is sovereign, that he does what he pleases, and he accomplishes all of his purposes, that main idea from the text from last week. It's his sovereign hand that sent the storm and the fish, at least partly to discipline Jonah for his rebellion and to, to turn him back to the Lord. And God's discipline has its intended effect, and Jonah does remember the Lord. And then God shows Jonah compassion. As, as you remember last week, I said that God's compassion is the main theme of the book of Jonah. And again, we will see it on display in the text for today as, as God shows compassion to the prophet Jonah. Uh, so the main idea as, is that as a, a loving and compassionate heavenly father, God disciplines his children that they might return to him. As a loving and compassionate Heavenly Father, God, dis God disciplines his children that they might return to him. And so we're going to see that played out in the life of Jonah in the text for this afternoon. And so first we want to look at God's discipline. Well, if you uh, put your eyes on, on verse 3 of the text, uh, you will notice who Jonah sees as the source of his current predicament, or the one responsible for him finding himself in the belly of the fish, uh, and it is the Lord. In Jonah's prayer, he says, it is the Lord who threw him into the depths. It was the breakers and billows of the Lord that swept over him. And so he recognizes that his situation has come from the sovereign hand of God. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we just read in uh, those verses from the last part of chapter 1, uh, which says that it was the sailors who threw Jonah overboard. The text is quite clear. It's the sailors who threw Jonah overboard. Uh, but Jonah here says it's the Lord who threw him overboard. Uh, and he quite simply recognizes that God is using human agents, or God used human agents in Jonah's life to accomplish his purposes. It was God who sent the storm. It was God who was behind the sailors throwing Jonah overboard. Uh, the Lord does as he pleases, and he accomplishes all of his purposes. And he used the sailors to help accomplish his purpose in Jonah's life and his purposes for Nineveh. So after, after trying to flee from the Lord, Jonah is, is here finally acknowledging God's sovereignty and that God is at work accomplishing his purposes. And by acknowledging God's sovereignty in the midst of his suffering, Jonah is also acknowledging that there is a purpose in his suffering, that there is a purpose in his suffering. He's acknowledging that his present predicament is the Lord's discipline in his life, we don't have to do much investigative work to see what that discipline may have been over. Uh, the Lord is disciplining him for his sin and rebellion, for trying to flee from his presence, from disobeying his command. Uh, so with that in mind, I actually want you to, to flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Uh, this is a text where the author of Hebrews provides some helpful teaching on the discipline of the Lord. 
And so I want us to, to read through that passage, note a few aspects of the discipline of the Lord that we see in that passage and we see lived out in this story of Jonah. And so you may want to actually keep your finger in both passages, both in Jonah chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 12, if you're able, because we'll go back and forth between the two. Um, but follow along with me as I read uh, in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. For consider him, and him being Jesus, so for so for consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, in this text in Hebrews and in the, the story of Jonah, I think we see three elements of God's discipline at work. And the, the first of those is that God's discipline is painful. God's discipline is painful. This is what the author of Hebrews says in verse 11, that no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. And in verse 7, the author of Hebrews, he encourages believers to endure suffering, to endure suffering as discipline. And so the, the picture that is being painted is clear that God's discipline is, is not pleasant, but it is painful. This was uh, certainly the case in Jonah's life. I'm not sure we even have to really look at the text. Just imagine what it would be like to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Be hot, dark, smelly, probably difficult to breathe, little to nothing to eat or drink. If you did have something to eat or drink, you probably wouldn't want to eat or drink it. Uh, it would not be a pleasant experience. And unsurprisingly, this is how Jonah does describe his time in the belly of the fish. And Back in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 2, he says he is in distress and deep inside Sheol. In verse 3, he says he is in the depths and has been overcome. Verse 4, he feels as if he has been banished from the Lord's sight. Verse 5, he has been engulfed, overcome, wrapped up in seaweed. Verse 6, he sank to the foundations of the mountains and the earth's gates shut behind him. And verse 7, he feels as if his life is fading away. Jonah's experience was a painful one. He suffered. And I, I find it particularly interesting that in, in verse 4 of Jonah 2, that he says he feels as if he has been banished from the Lord's sight. I mean, Jonah is the one that tried to flee from the Lord in chapter 1, but in the belly of the fish, he actually feels as if he has been abandoned by God. He feels as if he has been removed from the presence of the Lord, and he's miserable. In, in fact, Jonah's whole experience seems to be an, an earthly picture of the eternal picture of hell, of God turning his face away from him. He speaks of being cast into the depths, of being in the belly of Sheol. Well, God 
used Jonah's time in the belly of the fish to bring him to the end of himself. What the the storm did for the sailors, Jonah's time in the belly of the fish did for him. The storm brought the sailors to a place of great fear, to a place where they realized that they could not fight against the Lord. Their own strength was insufficient. They cry out to God for mercy. We saw that last week. The storm did not do this for Jonah. And so he found himself in the belly of the fish instead. But brothers and sisters, you should recognize that it did not have to be this way for Jonah. He simply could have obeyed. He had simply gone to Nineveh when the Lord had commanded him to go to Nineveh. None of this would have been necessary. In the midst of the storm, if he had simply humbled himself, confessed, and told the captain to turn around and and head back towards Nineveh, drop him off on the shore, I I think the storm would have subsided. In Psalm chapter 32, as as King David is reflecting on on God's forgiveness to him, uh, I think after his adultery with Bathsheba, his own time of discipline at the hands of the Lord. He writes this to the people of Israel. He writes, Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. In other words, obey willingly. Do not be like the horse or mule that requires force to get it to go in the right direction or the direction that you want it to go. Well, Jonah was a horse or a mule. And so the Lord gave a tug on his bit or bridle to get him to submit to his sovereign will and go to Nineveh. Uh, The first tug on the bit or the bridle in Jonah's life was the storm that the Lord sent, but that did not work. And so he gave a harder tug on the bit and the bridle and put Jonah into the belly of the fish. So brothers and sisters, let Jonah's story be an encouragement or an exhortation to you to submit your lives to your sovereign God, to faithfully follow him and to obey. And in those times in which you do not obey and and may experience the discipline of the Lord as Jonah is, let Jonah's example encourage you as the the author of Hebrews writes in verse 5 to not take the Lord's discipline lightly when it comes. Do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. Let God's discipline have its intended effect and let it sanctify you and purify you. So God's discipline is painful, but God's discipline is also an act of love. It's an act of love. Going back to Hebrews 12, we, we also see this about God's discipline. In Hebrews 12:6, the author writes, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. The author of Hebrews goes on to say it's evidence that God is dealing with you as one of his children if you are disciplined. Though discipline is painful, it's, it's actually the absence of the Lord's discipline in your life that is a sign of God's wrath and his judgment. In Romans 1, Paul writes that one of the ways God's wrath is revealed against unrighteousness is that God gives people over to, his, to their desires. Uh, they, he gives them over to their corruption and their sin. He does not restrain them. He does not discipline them in their sin. And it is that lack of discipline that is actually a sign of God's judgment. God disciplines his children out of love, doesn't discipline them out of anger. Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, but God's discipline showed Jonah that he had not abandoned his faithful love to his prophet. He had not abandoned Jonah. He did not leave Jonah in his sin, but he pursued Jonah. 
The storm and the fish were acts of love and compassion from his gracious heavenly father that were intended to draw Jonah back to himself. Now, as I say that, I I do think it is important to mention that not not all discipline is the result of sin. Uh, You could face the discipline of the Lord because of sin in your life, but not all discipline is the result of sin. I think Jonah's clearly is, but the author of Hebrews writes, endure suffering as discipline. If we were to remember back to, to James, the book we previously studied, James wrote that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So just as a parent disciplines their children when they do wrong, well, they do that on one hand, but another form of discipline is proactive discipline or teaching. You teach, you instruct. That is a form of discipline. So in the same way, God uses discipline to sanctify you and conform you to the image of his son. It could be discipline over sin that you face in your life, but it may be simply that God is using your circumstances. He could be using a trial. He could be using suffering to train you in righteousness. So let these words from Jonah, let these words from the author of Hebrews encourage you to see God's discipline as an act of love. To see your trials and suffering as God treating you like one of his children and working to produce holiness and working to produce endurance in your life. It is for your benefit. So I encourage you to see your suffering in a different light and give God praise. Submit to his sovereign hand at work in your own lives. And as a quick aside to those of you who are parents, let these words from Jonah encourage you to discipline your own children. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that it is an act of love of earthly parents to discipline their children. As as parents, in addition, we should want to be imitators of our heavenly father. It is not an act of love to essentially give your children over to their sin, to give your children over to their wrongdoing, to fail to teach them and train them, and to fail to discipline them. Proverbs 13, 24, the one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him gently. So God's discipline is painful. God's discipline is an act of love. And third, and and relatedly, God's discipline is for your benefit. Well, if I were to to ask you the image that comes to mind when you think of military basic training, my guess is about the same image comes into all of your minds. It is the image of uh, people being yelled at, people doing a lot of push-ups, and people being generally miserable. Uh, Much of that picture is accurate. I can speak from personal experience. But I think most of you also recognize the purpose that military basic training has, the purpose uh, by which militaries across the world subject their new recruits to this intense training. It's to prepare them for life in the military by teaching them to follow orders, to teach them some of the basic skills they need. Now I'm, I'm sure many of the soldiers who go through it complain at the time as they are going through it. But I'm also sure that if you ask those soldiers whether they would prefer to go to basic training first or go straight to war if there was a war on, I think the vast majority of them would say that they would prefer to go to basic training first because they realize that that training is for their benefit. It's going to teach them some of the skills they need to succeed, to protect them. It's hard. It's painful. But it teaches them what they need to know, and ultimately it is for their good and for their protection, as well as the protection of those that they serve with. Well, in a 
A similar way, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 11 that no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And we know that trials and suffering are not pleasant. I mean, it's kind of wrapped up in the very name itself. The Lord's discipline in our lives may not be pleasant, but its goal is to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Or to put it like James, to produce endurance that we might receive the crown of life. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 5, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Brothers and sisters, God's discipline is for your benefit. It is to sanctify you and make you more like Jesus. It's intended to to turn you from your sin so something far worse does not befall you. It's intended to produce faithfulness and endurance in you that you might receive the crown of life. And as we will see in a moment, God's discipline in Jonah's life had its intended effect, at least for a while. It turned Jonah's affection back to the Lord, and Jonah experienced the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Though he was still in the belly of the fish, he spoke of God raising his life from the pit, and he had a renewed sense of God's presence. And so that takes us to the second point of the sermon, which is Jonah's response. So the first, God's discipline. The second, Jonah's response. To go back to Hebrews 12:11 for just a moment, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That peaceful fruit of righteousness is is only experienced by those who have been trained by it. And just read through Proverbs and see how many times the, the writer of Proverbs calls people fools who despise or reject instruction. He calls them foolish. Well, Jonah was a fool for a time, and as we will see in chapter four, he will be a fool again. Uh, But we see in Jonah's response here in chapter 2 that at this moment in time, uh, Jonah had been trained by God's discipline and that God's discipline had its intended effect in Jonah's life. The first thing we see is that that Jonah prayed. Look back at at verses 1 and 2 in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Well, finally, finally now that Jonah is in the belly of the fish, he turns to the Lord and prays. He did not do this when the Lord first commanded him to go to Nineveh. He did not do it during the storm, even when the captain came down and woke him up and urged him to pray. But now that he is in the belly of the fish, he turns to the Lord and prays. God has brought Jonah to the end of them to the end of himself, and so he finally turns to the Lord. He cries out to the the same God who has sovereignly brought the storm, sovereignly put him in the belly of the fish. He recognized that, yes, the Lord was the source of his troubles and his suffering, but the Lord was the only one that could deliver him as well. And Jonah's prayer is a, a very honest prayer. He does not try to hide his feelings from the Lord. He openly tells the Lord of his distress. He tells the Lord as if it feels as if he has been banished from his presence. He tells the Lord he's been overcome and he feels as if his life is fading away. And importantly, Jonah did not feel, did not wait for his feelings to catch up with him. He did not feel, he did not wait till he felt like praying to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord in the midst of his sorrow. And brothers and sisters, it's a good thing to be honest with the Lord in your prayers. 
Jonah was, was honest. We see this type of honesty in prayer throughout the Psalms. It's okay to speak to him about the difficulty of your circumstances and how you feel. It does not make you more righteous or, or more holy or more acceptable in the Lord's sight to pretend as if everything is okay. Uh, if you are perfectly content with everything going on in your life. No, instead the Lord invites you to cast your cares on him, to be honest. But, but like we see in the Psalms, Jonah's prayer is not a complaint against God. He is not venting against God. He'll vent against God later. We'll, we'll find that in chapter 4. But here in chapter 2, Jonah is not venting against God. In the midst of his prayer, he reminds himself of God's character. He remembers who the Lord is. And so should you. In verse 4, when Jonah says that it seems as if he has been banished from the Lord's presence, he says, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. In verse 7, he writes that as his life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. In verse 9, he reminds himself that salvation belongs to the Lord. So in the midst of his distress, he reminds himself of the Lord's goodness, of his saving power, of his mercy and his compassion. He reminds himself that he worships a God who hears his prayers and delivers his people, a God who is a rock and a fortress. And so he takes his eyes away from his circumstances, as bad as they are, and he places them on the Lord instead. And in fact, this is, is what the author of Hebrews encourages you to do right before that section that we just read on the discipline of the Lord. Uh, in the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12, this is what he writes. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we lay aside our own sin? How do we endure? By keeping our attention on Jesus and reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel. That Jesus endured far greater suffering than we are called to endure, he endured the suffering of the cross. Now, perhaps in your current circumstances, you may feel a bit like Jonah. You may feel an absence of God's presence. You may feel like Jonah, like the Lord has banished you from his sight. But on the cross, as the sins of the world were placed on Jesus, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he felt the punishment that we deserve, that was Jesus' cry. Now, he remained the second person of the Trinity during his time on the cross, during his time in the tomb, uh, and throughout the resurrection. But as the sins of the world were laid on Jesus, he felt in some sense forsaken, forsaken by those he loved on earth, but in some sense as he took on the sins of mankind, uh, he, felt, he felt in a much more profound way what Jonah perceives in the belly of the fish. But he did this for you, that if you repent and believe, you might enjoy the presence of God forever. If you are his child, God has given you the Holy Spirit, which is the seal of your salvation. You have the promise that God will never leave you, nor forsake you. Jesus accomplished this on your behalf. So in the midst of your sufferings and your trials, keep your eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Well, finally, as, as Jonah fixes his eyes on God, he turns to God in repentance and worship. Look at verses 8 and 9. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, I think Jonah's repentance is, is shown by the fact that he has now been humbled to the point he's crying out to the Lord and he's once again looking to God for deliverance. And notice Jonah does not ask for anything in his prayer. He cries out to the Lord and he simply looks to the Lord. He worships the Lord, but amazingly, he does not ask God to get him out of the fish. He simply casts himself on God's mercy. I think we also see Jonah's repentance in verse 8. Uh, verse 8 may not seem totally clear. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But other, tr other translations of the Bible translate it this way. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Or those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. In other words, Jonah, uh, in crying out with, with this prayer in verse 8, seems to be acknowledging that the idols that he has chased, whether that was his own desires, whatever it was that led him to flee from the presence of the Lord, uh, well, by doing so, that he shunned God's mercy and grace. He's admitting that he deserved the discipline that had come his way. And then Jonah turns to the Lord in worship. He commits to, to sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, he commits to fulfill what he has vowed, which I take to which I take to mean that he would fulfill his role as an Israelite and follow the Lord's command and, and more specifically as a prophet of the Lord and take the word of the Lord to the people of Nineveh. He's committing to turn from his disobedience and once again follow the Lord. He confesses that salvation belongs to the Lord, both his own salvation, but I also think confessing that salvation for the people of Nineveh belonged to the Lord and not to him. The Lord does what he pleases. Go back to Hebrews, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think God's discipline had its intended effect in Jonah's life. And what about you, Christian? How do you respond to God's discipline in your own life? Whether that's for sin or whether it is God training you and producing endurance within you, when you are suffering and you feel like the storms of life have overcome you, what is your inclination? Do you get angry at God? Do you seek to flee from the Lord? Do you abandon prayer? Do you abandon God's word? Do you stop reading the Bible? Do you quit attending church? Do you stop allowing other brothers and sisters to encourage you and turn yourself away from the fellowship uh, that God, of, of those that God has put into your life? Do you pursue the sinful pleasures of the world to mask the pain of your circumstance? Or do you respond like Jonah does here and as the author of Hebrews encourages you to? Do you cry out an honest prayer to the Lord, telling him how you feel, telling him what is going on in your life? And do you remind yourself of who God is, a good, wise, loving, heavenly Father who will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you seek to offer praise and thanksgiving to God in worship? Do you fix your eyes on Jesus who died for your salvation, was raised for your sanctification, and will one day glorify you? 
Brothers and sisters, if you are here and not doing that today, do not despair. It took Jonah a while too. But if you're a child of God, he will continue to pursue you. He will continue to discipline you, to, to draw you back to him. Do not forsake his discipline. Do not wait until you feel like worshiping God. Cry out to him in your despair and ask him to restore the joy of his salvation. Worship him and trust that your feelings will follow. God's compassion is waiting because you serve a God who is compassionate and merciful. And that takes us to the last point, which is God's compassion. So first, God's discipline. Second, Jonah's response. And finally, God's compassion. Again, God's compassion is the main theme of the book of Jonah. It is all throughout the book. We saw last week God's compassion to Jonah and the sailors. Next week, we'll see his compassion to Nineveh. And this week, his compassion is once again on display in the life of Jonah. I mean, brothers and sisters, the very fact that Jonah was in the belly of the fish was an act of a compassionate God who was pursuing Jonah in his sin. He could have let Jonah perish as he is thrown overboard, but he does not. God's discipline in Jonah's life was an act of mercy and compassion. As the author of Hebrews writes, God disciplines the one he loves. It was an act of love by God, and it was for Jonah's benefit. But God's compassion is also on display in that he hears Jonah's prayers. Again, that's what Jonah says in verse 2. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. God heard Jonah's prayers. He did not shut his ears to Jonah's cries. Jonah felt as if he had been banished from the presence of the Lord, but when he cried out to the Lord in his distress, God heard his prayers and God answered him. God had not abandoned Jonah, and Jonah took great comfort from the knowledge of God's presence. The Bible says the Lord is near all who call on him, and that he is near the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. You can cry out to God in honest prayer because he hears and he answers. He cares for you. In fact, this knowledge of God's presence and his restored relationship with the Lord seems to be what Jonah is most grateful for. In verse 6, Jonah seems to praise the Lord for raising him up and saving him before the Lord has actually delivered him from the belly of the fish. In verse 9, Jonah proclaims that salvation belongs to God, again, before the Lord actually delivers him from the belly of the fish. He's grateful that the Lord has not forgotten him, that he has indeed not been banished from the Lord's presence. He's grateful that the Lord is still treating him as a beloved son. Jonah realized that his, his earthly circumstances were far less important than his relationship with the Lord. But the Lord did more than simply renew his relationship with Jonah and restore his fellowship. God showed Jonah compassion by delivering him from the belly of the fish. And look at verse 10. Then, following this prayer of Jonah, then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. After God's discipline had its intended effect, God had the fish spit him out. And Jonah did not deserve it, but the Lord showed him compassion by having the fish vomit him on the dry land. It does not sound particularly pleasant, but it sure beats spending another day or night in the belly of the fish under the sea. Jonah fled from the Lord. He ignored the storm. He was swallowed by a fish. 
but he finally heeded the Lord's discipline and repented, and the Lord was compassionate. He spared his life, and as we'll see next week, he recommissioned him to go to Nineveh. So brothers and sisters, take time today to praise your God who is merciful and compassionate, your God who disciplines the one he loves, and your God who rescues and restores. And friends, if you have have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you see in these verses that salvation does belong to the Lord. He proved it by rescuing Jonah from the belly of the fish. And as, as our sister Shilpa just read a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 12, he proved it many years later when he sent Jesus to die on the cross, who had died, spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and was raised from the dead. God proved his power to save by raising up Jonah, and he proved his power to save by raising up Jesus Christ. The story of Jonah is calling you to believe. It's calling you to put your faith in Jesus Christ who suffered and died on the cross that you might find forgiveness. God is a God of mercy and compassion. It's almost impossible to miss throughout Jonah that God is a God of mercy and compassion. And he will forgive you if you turn to him in repentance and faith. You can know the wonderful presence of the Lord today as as those who place their faith in Jesus Christ receive the gift of his Holy Spirit to indwell them. And you can know him forever as God's children will dwell with him for all eternity. Turn aside from worthless idols and the things of this world and place your faith in him today. Let's pray.